Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Zinedine Mishash with Bordaroli! The flag stays down, and Bruno is at it again with his 12th goal in eight games this season. Looks to bag Crystal Palace, an unlikely point. Elise scores! It was Manchester City's game, but they didn't get far enough ahead. Kulisevsky and Richarlison, and Spurs have the lead in first half stoppage time. Moragis in behind, squares it up, surely! There's the equaliser, Trent Bahadja! With virtually the last kick of the game, Newcastle conjure up an equaliser. Welcome to the global game for Paramount Plus. The A-League is where stars are made. Every round, every game, live only on Paramount Plus. Here are your hosts, Alex Brosk and Simon Hill. Yes, hello again. Good to have you with us for our final show before a mini Christmas break. So lots to get through in the next couple of hours. Here's what's coming up tonight. We'll review a scintillating round eight of the A-League men's, including a big blue pantsing for Sydney, the Aloisi derby, and another win for Wellington. Our special guest is Melbourne Victory's red-hot striker, Bruno Fornaroli. Could he be on the plane to Qatar for the Asian Cup? Talking of which, we'll continue our previews of the big tournament in January, looking at Group C and D. Alicia Carnavas is here to talk Matildas as tickets sell like hotcakes for the Olympic qualifier and she'll review the latest action in the A-League women's. Spencer Pryor will talk English Premier League as Man City slip again and Liverpool are frustrated by Manchester United. And Paul Williams on Kevin Muscat's coaching switch from Japan to China in Football Asia. It's all to come between now and 10 o'clock Eastern on The Global Game, right here on SEN. Yeah, great to have your company one last time in 2023. Lots of football chat to come in the next two hours, all alongside my regular colleagues, Alex Brosk and Alex Molchanoff. Evening, gents. Your nice mic's not on again, Broski. Nice we're back, back in our normal studio. Nice to be back with you. You know what? I am very happy that I've finally gotten a true appreciation for our theme song. Having, having, <laughs> oh yeah. So how was live. your Friday night, Broski? It was great. I went. To, I went to a Camden Sports Club. <laughs> saw my good mate Simon Hill with his band Green Manalishi playing a whole heap of metal songs, and that was one of them. You should so. have seen Broski's face. <laughs> it, was, it was different. It was different. Yeah, it was a good night. It was a lot of fun, and. Uh, 
Thank you for coming down. Uh, no that problem. was terrific. Was... Walking up the stairs, actually, the security gave me a weird look like, mate, this is the medal. <laughs> so obviously I wasn't dressed appropriately. I didn't have my black, uh, what, what Pantera yeah, shirt on. That's it. We'll get you on for next time. Uh, get some branding clothing. Um, uh, Mulchi, on a slightly more serious note, mm. there's a big day coming up in football on Thursday. The European High Court is going to rule on whether UEFA can continue to have what uh, the A22 Sports Group call a monopoly over football on the continent. Now, this could have huge ramifications, couldn't it? Because they want a Super League, and this could give it the green light, at least legally. Mm. Yeah, I haven't got my legal you know, degrees to go yeah. through, through all the weeds on I that I threw one. that question at you without notice, well, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting, is it? I, you know what? There's a, a funny side of me that thinks maybe this is... Maybe this is the way football's heading and the global elite can have their, their football and perhaps we get a renewal of the national leagues and what they're meant to be about, yeah. which is a change Quite in possible. champions more mm. often, more competitive title races um, and a chance for different clubs to win European competitions in UEFA, which as you know. If they continue. If they continue. I Do you think they wouldn't? <sighs> I know it's a rival product. I, mean, I don't know. You know, They'd does probably the Champions be on a smaller League scale? But... Does the Champions League have value without Real Madrid, without Barcelona, without Bayern Munich, without Manchester City, without United, Liverpool, Arsenal, without those clubs? No. Well, you look at the Europa League and Europa Conference League, yeah, and look, true. ask the clubs in those competitions if they matter. Broski, you got a view? Well, on for that? people watching, I mean, I don't necessarily get up to watch the Europa League, whereas I will for the Champions League. I, I, I do think it takes a, a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Mm. The only thing I'll say is that if my team were to go into a Super League, and I've been a City fan, as you know, all my life, that's it for me. Wow. I'm out. Would you be out of football altogether? No, or but, just but I would... just watching as a neutral? I would... I think I would support a non-league team mm. in England anyway. See, that's uh, the football I, I love, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know that, that removing that top 20 teams would mm. would do that much. I know it's different for other people, though. I, I know, it, and certainly you're right, it would take a hit. What do you think at home? Are you in or out for a Super League? Uh, give us a call, 1300 01 1170. Send us a text, 0457 736 736. Or you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. Let's get into it then with the Starter for Five. Almost start off a six with that uh, very <laughs> tricky question at the top. But uh, Broski is your first one. Sydney's big blue defeat. This season is going to be a rebuild or no? It's way too early and Uffi Talley is strong-willed. Um, look, I definitely don't think it's a rebuild. I think there's plenty of time to get going. Um, and I've got no doubt Uffi eventually will. I think we can't forget that Sydney, you know, they've had their routine and style of play under Corriger for about five uh, five years or so. So for a new coach to come in and change all that, it takes time for the players um, to adjust to. So, I mean, ideally, Ulfi would have come in, had a solid preseason, two to three months worth of, of getting that system and that change happening. But he's coming three rounds in and, uh, you know, he's doing it on the run. So I think that there's a lot of quality in this team. They'll get it, they'll get it going. Question two, Alex Moltenoff, an encouraging crowd of just under 5,000 at MacArthur last night. Uh, sell Monday evenings as a Bulls night out or it's just a one-off? That's my shout. Anything that differentiates them, I'm, I'm all for. If that's what it's going to take to get, five, you know, that's a good crowd. That's half, yeah. just over half what 
I think the Wanderers are averaging in a brand new stadium, uh, playing really good football, and that's not saying MacArthur aren't this season. But if it, if it differentiates them, and it gives them some sort of identity that other clubs don't have, mm. why not? Why not? I mean, it's you know the, the Bulls crowds have been small along with Western United, but that that seemed a, a big spike. So. Mm. I don't know whether it's a pre-Christmas thing or whether it be in the Monday night, but whatever it is, uh, maybe it's something worth exploring mm. for MacArthur. Uh, question three, Broski, the new expanded Club World Cup, just a money-making exercise or good for our region? And it'll be a surprise. Well, anything uh, FIFA is doing these days is obviously money-making, but I reckon it's great for our region. I can't wait to see it. It, it I guess makes it more of a club world cup at the moment it's you know your champions and it's one-off games they don't play each other uh in in a round robin style so it's really i mean your, your top european team south american team straight into the semi-final mm. it, it, it's like look that argument of the nba cha- mm. you know champions calling themselves world, world champions, champions when they haven't played everybody in the world and, and not that they have to I, I get why your man cities go straight to the semi but then don't call it a, a club World Cup when, when yeah. it isn't. I think this is going to be fantastic. It opens up a lot of um, opportunities for, for clubs in Asia, for Australian clubs to try and push a bit more. So I'm excited for it. I guess the, the counter-argument to that is uh, the fact that with the expanded Champions League that's coming in next year, 48-team uh, World Cup, you know, you're asking yeah. more and more and more of the players. Mm. And their bodies can only take so much. Anyway, more on that with Paul Williams in Football Asia towards the end of the show. Uh, question four, Mulchi, after the attack on a referee in Turkey last week, is it time for the game to try and change the culture on referees or it'll never work? Coaches, players and fans are too hard to please. Well, the only way to attack this is to think global, act local, and you can only do and affect the people around you in this sort of situation. So, of course, there's going to be a change towards referees. Of course, there's going to be an attempt. I think FIFA need to do more. Um, I don't think the approach at the moment is proactive enough. This is where, where people talk about the symbiote. Oh, we're changing another law. Well, you're giving referees another tool that they don't have in their locker. I don't think that's necessarily the way to go about it, but at least they're being proactive on some front in try to, uh, trying to arrest this because the behaviour of players is in the last 20, 30 years, yep. I just think has gone down the toilet. And, and coaches, officials, club presidents... Have, have not helped. So there, there's got to be something from the top to, to catalyse that change. You know what? I, I would come down really hard on this. I would say from now on, only the captain of the team is allowed to approach the referee and only twice per game. Anybody else, immediate red card, five-game ban. That'd stop it. It would. Mm. That'd stop it in a heartbeat. Question five, Broski, and there was no pun intended as a link to this question, by the way, because it's a serious topic. The Tom Lockyer incident in the Premier League at the weekend. Players with heart defects should not be allowed to play or it's down to the individual. That's what I say. Now, the Uh, background to this, just mm, to give a bit of context, is that this is not the first time that Tom Lockyer has sadly mm. collapsed on the pitch. Unfortunately, he's lived to tell the tale. Yeah, look, and, and it's one of those. I, I definitely think it should be taken out of the players' hands. Um, I just don't think, you know, players with heart conditions, you know, for, for their families, their teammates, people that have to deal with the result of situations like this, I mm. think it's, um, look, it can be incredibly traumatizing and, and difficult to deal with. So I, 
you know, nobody likes seeing it. Um, and I think it should be taken out of their hands. I don't think they should, players with heart defects should be allowed to play. Okay. Tom Lockyer uh, is in hospital still in the UK and uh, is being monitored, having all sorts of tests. Obviously, we hope he's okay. Uh, that brings Starter for five to a close. We're going to take our first quick break. On the other side of it, we will review round eight in the A-League men's competition. Our A-League round and review, thanks to Paramount+. Plus. Don't miss the superstars of the A-Leagues on Paramount+. Plus. Broski, we will start our look back at the weekend's action with the Big Blue on Saturday night. I know you I don't want to. get it out of the way. <laughs> uh, victory three, Sydney FC nil. Bruno Fornaroli, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We're going to speak to Bruno shortly on the show. So we'll get the Melbourne victory point of view from him. I want to ask you in more detail about Sydney. Uh, they had a lot of possession, had a lot of corners, had a lot of shots. But victory in the end won it quite comfortably. Mm. What's the issue for Sydney? I know if we tell he wants to play this high-energy, high-press game, is he getting that out of his players at the moment? Uh, not entirely, no. I, I, in watching from the angle that I had on the weekend, there, there's a lot wrong at the moment. I mean, the, the players sort of aren't going. They're, they're, at times when it comes to their press, they're, they're doing it, they're doing it well. At other times... If the press isn't done together by everybody and there isn't an understanding by the whole squad, you're going to get picked off. And I think it happened a couple of times. And, and look, the victory just played a few long balls. They've got good wingers that they can go to and just players in form at the moment in that front third where every time they went forward, they looked like they were going to score. So, you know, it's at both ends at the moment that Sydney are struggling. Going forward, they don't look like they're going to score. They don't look like they believe they're going to score. Whereas... Are they getting the most out of Fabio Gomez? I've made this point once or twice. It's only my opinion, mm. but he's, I think he's one of the most aerial duels of any player in the competition. He's a big guy. That's clearly his forte, but unfortunately Sydney have got two wingers in Mac and Lolly. Great players though they are for the competition, but they're not that sort of winger, are they? That hits the byline and swings the balls in for no. a big guy in the middle. No, and they're definitely not getting enough out of him. I asked Ulfi a couple of weeks ago, and he said he was happy with his work rate, his pressing, the amount, the runs that he's making, and and the aerial battles. But he's there battles. to score goals, isn't he? That's exactly why he's there. All those other things are there for a Patrick Wood or a Jaden Kaczarski mm-hmm. to do. I mean, when I was there, that was my job to do the running, to do all the runs in behind. Whether it was uh, Mark wa- Yanko, were you the water carrier? That's exactly what I was. <laughs> but I knew, I knew my role. I knew yeah. that if I did my part. Yanko would score, Bobo would score, LaFonda would score. Yeah. These guys are there to score the goals. So if you've got to do the dirty work around them, so be it. Um, I mean, Mark Yanko even joked, called me Forrest Gump once for, <laughs> to, for the fact that I was only running. You're a good water carrier, <laughs> Brosky. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so look, I, I think Fabio Gomez, if you're going to bring a foreign striker in, he that has to be his role, to score yeah. goals. You know, Patrick Wood can do all the running, Kaczarski, they can, they can support and do all of that. You've got great wingers who, who do support good service he has to be scoring goals so if he doesn't soon then he's going to have to leave him on the bench and start bringing in players who in pre-season were mm. scoring goals Patrick Wood Wood was on fo- on fire Kaczarski yeah. as well um, you know probably hasn't had as much game time that we would like um, more on victory of course with Bruno Fornaroli shortly but just uh, from you on victory still unbeaten the only club in the competition that is yet to lose four wins four draws are they shaping us favourites for the premiership for you or not? Uh, look, it kills me to say the two favourites are Victory and the Wanderers. So, 
they're, they're the, both teams are playing good football at the moment, finding ways to win, even when they're not, you know, dominating games at times or getting red cards like we saw with the Wanderers. They're still finding ways to, to get the job done. So the victory um, with the quality they have, if they continue getting this output from Arzani, which in attack he can still offer so much more, but it's his all-round game that's really starting to uh, to impress me, then the victory can win it. I'll tell you one foreigner who is uh, certainly among the goals at the moment is Angel Torres, who uh, bagged a hat-trick for the Central Coast Mariners. He was one of those players, and I've watched him a few times this season, Broski, I don't know if you were the same, and I was a bit, eh, mm. I'm not so sure. But I was the same about Benny and Cololo, and he came good. And boy, did Torres come good at the weekend. He it did. was a cracking game, uh, three-all draw with City. I was the same even with Tulio at early stages yeah. last season. I thought the same. I thought Silvera was on fire, coming, scoring goals. Tulio... Mm. And just the way, obviously, he got going and, and he's been fantastic for them. But Torres was is the same. He sort of just hasn't, up until this point, really hit his straps. But that, that goes with the Mariners in general. They they hadn't, you know, for the first couple rounds of the tournament were nothing like last season and, and what we got used to seeing. So I think his form, as well as the Mariners, has sort of, you know, um, picked up dramatically, and that's why they're probably on a good run at the moment. City's still a bit leaky. They're mm. going to have to be better than that against victory in the derby at the weekend. Uh, but the Mariners unbeaten now for more than a month in all competitions. They've really uh, turned it around after that poor start to the campaign when they lost four straight. Yeah, they have. Look, and, and starting to look a lot better. I'd say, obviously, a few hard truths were, were would have to have been spoken, you know, going from winning the grand final as convincingly as they did to, uh, to starting so poorly. And, and, of course, we go through the changes they've had almost every week. And, and look, I still maintain they're way off where they need to be. This was a grand final rematch, but both sides are, are very far from uh, from those two sides that we saw in the grand final. 0457 736 736 is our number if you've got uh, any points to make about the weekend's action in the A-League men's competition. Uh, Monday night, uh, Wellington Phoenix beating MacArthur by three goals to nil. I call this game. I tell you what, Phoenix were good value. Mm. Boy, they were well organised in that first half. Really laid themselves a platform. And then in the second half, took on with it. And Costa Barbarossa scored two goals. The second one was an absolutely yeah. brilliant team goal. In fact, they were all good team goals. And, a Wellington a chance. And, and weird when you think it was done without Zavada, who's generally yeah. the guy that gets their goals, that, that fluidity in attack. we I hadn't seen them play like that in an away game all season. So, you know, I've been sort of saying that for me, where they were on the ladder probably wasn't a true reflection in, in how they'd been playing, which was a good sign for them. Uh, but this game was great. This was them, you know, probably at their best. They they limited the Bulls to uh, to not a lot in attack. So defensively, very solid, very strong, um, and very impressive, really. I think if they continue to build, which they seem to have been doing, and now top of the league, uh, away to MacArthur, who, who themselves were in great form, I, I think it looks great for them. He's done a terrific job, Giancarlo Italiano, and he brought uh, two signings in during the offseason as well. Uh, from MacArthur's point of view, they missed a penalty, of course, as mm. well. Uli Davila, uh, Alex Paulson saving yet another one. Uh, they just looked a bit flat, a bit tired after their Asian exertions. Um, next up for Wellington Phoenix is a home game against Western Sydney Wanderers who uh, edged out Adelaide by the only goal. Dylan Perias with his first goal uh, for the Red and Black, even though they had Josh Berlante sent off late. Uh, Wanderers remain, unless you're victory, very difficult to score against. Yeah. They're obdurate, aren't they? They're tough to play against. And Adelaide couldn't find a way around them. 
No, they couldn't. The Wanderers, um, yeah, they, they built their early season form last year on, on defence and being tough to break down. This year as well, um, I just feel like going forward this year, they're, they're a lot um, better. And they've had a few games where, you know, even still, even when they've gone down a couple of games, they, they still find a way, um, you know, to keep themselves in the game, get something, scramble out, out, out of the, you know, a point or or something out of the game. So, again, I mean, I just said it there. The Wanderers... Um, Another team that can go on and win it, given given the way they're building and still nowhere near probably their their uh, their best. Carl Vitt has given Nestori Erin Kunda a little bit of a breather, brought him off the bench at halftime. Is that probably the right thing to do? They're, they're on a bit of a poor run at the moment, though. The Reds. Yeah, that, look, they are, and I'm in, in watching it. I was probably thinking. I mean, one, uh, you know, in trying to shake things up a little bit, we know the impact that Erin Kunda can have off the bench, and then. Possibly as well, looking at the Wanderers, you know, they haven't been a great first half team. They they typically come home strong in the second half and score most of their goals. He was probably thinking, you know, to fight fire with fire and have, you know, his own weapon coming off the bench to, uh, to you know, give Adelaide a bit of a kick. And um, look, in the end, I think Wanderers just too strong. Talking of giving something a kick, uh, John Aloisi gave the sideline hoardings a bit of a kick, didn't he, during the, the Aloisi derby, as it was labelled. Uh, Western United beating Brisbane Raw by uh, two goals to one at Amy Park on Friday night. Uh, a good battling performance, you'd say, by Western. They you know, looked as though they weren't going to win again, but uh, managed to yeah. get the points late on, thanks to Josh Risden. They did. Um, and, and, I mean... Such a much-needed result for Johnny Aloisi. Um, you know, obviously, you know the Aloisi derby was was a was a good talking point as well going into it and, and seeing them two up against each other. But I think for for Johnny to get this win, six losses on on the trot is um, getting a bit much, I think. And the patience probably would have been starting to wear thin. So to get that win against a, a raw side who've been playing fantastic, it was a great game to watch. Uh, even though you know up until the seventieth minute, it was nil all. Very entertaining, some good football from both. Um, for for Western United, still finishing is an issue. They had a couple. Denzaki went through on a one on one. They had a couple good chances that they weren't finishing. Um, that they really need to start being a bit more clinical, I think. But regardless, a big win for him. Um, for the Raw, again, nothing changes for me. I think they're playing great football at yep. the moment, and and uh, just uh, one of those games. Uh, before we leave Western United, a poll's being run to decide the name of the new Tani training facility where Western United are going to play. Uh, there are two choices. To me, this is a no-brainer. Davis Park or Ironbark Fields. That's the one, isn't it? <laughs> it sounds the best. You Absolutely. can't have Davis Park. <laughs> is there meaning behind? I mean, there would be. Right? Uh, there but... is. I can't tell you off the top of my head what okay. it is, but Ironbark I'm, Fields, I'm Iron I Bark. like that. Absolutely. Trouble down at Ironbark Fields. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, final game that we're going to review is the Saturday Twilight match at McDonald Jones Stadium, Newcastle 2, Perth 2. Jeez, you, you've got to feel for Perth glory. <laughs> yeah. they, they were so good in that second half. Uh, just absolutely heartbreaking for them. But credit to the Jets, who again came from uh, uh, mm. behind to, to grab a point with virtually the last kick of the game. Not the first time they've done that this season, which shows good character. It does. It, it shows. Um, yeah, it shows a lot from the Jets. I think that uh, you know they, they they've just been super inconsistent at the moment. You know, going away to beat Wellington last week, and then this week at home in a game they should have won, considering Perth's away form, um, and and just didn't. Um, really get it going, you know, and, and in the end probably deserved that point, I'd say, because they did play um, they did play well. They were, you know, dominant for most of that game. But for Perth, just another 
another game where they sort of let things slip. It looked like they were going to get that first away win in, I couldn't tell you how long, but... Since October 2022. Yeah, right. So 14 months. Okay. I mean, but again, the first goal, you know, Beavers could have let it run out for a goal kick. He's twice mm. the size of Piscopo who was coming up against him. Instead, he kicks it out for a needless throw-in. From the throw-in, he gives away a penalty. And and they concede a goal. They it's did the way well. It's going, isn't it? When it you're down well, the well, it is exactly. Yeah. They did well to come back into it, score two very good goals. Kolakovsky's goal was a was a screamer, and then to not be able to hold on, again, it, it's just pure desperation. You watch how that equaliser came about. It's a long nothing ball out wide, no pressure on the ball, allows him to take a, a touch and then played him behind, and uh, just zero desperation at all. When you, mm. you you're desperate for something, you're desperate for a win, you're desperate for an away win. And no desperation. Well, they did get a point. Uh, that was the round in review, thanks to Paramount Plus, the A League, where stars are made every round, every game, live only on Paramount Plus. Uh, this coming week on Thursday, it's Brisbane Roar against the Mariners. Then on Friday, Adelaide against the Jets. Saturday, Wellington against the Wanderers is the early kickoff. Then Sydney FC against Western United, and the Melbourne Derby at seven forty-five p.m. Perth Glory against MacArthur is the late game at 10.30. Off to another break. On the other side of it, we will chat to Victory's red-hot striker, Bruno Fornaroli. Our A-Leagues interview of the week, thanks to Paramount+. Plus. Don't miss the superstars of the A-Leagues on Paramount+. Plus. And this week, we are delighted to say we have Melbourne Victory's Bruno Fornaroli joining us on the line from Melbourne. Evening, Bruno. Hello, guys. How are you? Yeah, good, very buddy. good. Broski's here as well. I think we should start in the studio, guys, by uh, a round of applause for Bruno Fornaroli's early season form. <laughs> Goodness me. 12 goals in seven matches. What's going on, Bruno? What's the reason behind this torrent of goals? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, uh, I'm enjoying uh, my football at the moment, uh, you know, uh, as a striker, Alex know uh, probably better than me. And then when everything is going well, and you get the confidence, and then you feel like uh, you will score every time, and then and, 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 you know that that positive energy uh, around me and 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 myself also is 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 very important. And and like I said before, I'm enjoying to to play football and, 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 you know, and I think, uh, in the way that, that the team playing now is, is, is amazing. We create a lot of chances there, of course, giving the, the opportunity for more goals. No, it is a, it is great to watch at the moment. I actually tried to get uh, Bruno to come to Sydney a couple of years ago. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, exclusive. I know. We, we had a, we had a good <laughs> chat, but unfortunately for Sydney fans, yeah. it, it never happened. Were, mate, you, but... were you not keen, Bruno? Would you have been keen on that? <laughs> Look, I, I, look, what's the first guy I call and, and I say, Alex, what's going on here? And they say, look, don't worry, so I will call the coach straight away. <laughs> yeah, I remember that chat, yeah. Uh, mate, congratulations. You, know, you got your, your 100th goal uh, in the A-League as well. Uh, and, and you've been 10 years in Australia now. Uh, is it, does it feel like home for you and your family? Yeah, yeah. First thing, thank you. And, and, and of course, at the moment, uh, you know, and... We don't like to 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 think much uh, forward, and then in terms of what, what we will do after football, or you know, uh, like I said before, I'm enjoying the the moment. Uh, we we're happy to be back in Melbourne with the family, but but you never know, you never know. Uh, I think I think probably 
uh, we are a little bit scared to say, yeah, we will stay uh, in Australia forever. This is why maybe we 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 don't say it, but of course, uh, that, uh, Melbourne feels feels home for for us. You've not picked up the accent yet, though, Bruno. That's that's for sure. <laughs> um, no, and I think I I will be here for the rest of my life, maybe, and uh, now it will be impossible. <laughs> but um, actually, my kids say this to me, and and, and by by they are, they are proper Aussie. Yeah, proper Take Aussie. The accent, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, when it when it comes to football, you are proper Aussie. We are going to talk about victory, I promise you. But I want to get this question out of the way because. It is the talking point on everybody's lips in football in this country at the moment. The Asian Cup squad is going to be named later this week. I know that you would love to be on that plane. The question is uh, from me, was that tournament a motivation for you when you started your pre-season with victory? Look, uh, if I'm honest with you, I just when I started pre-season, I say uh, my thought was like, I don't know how many years I have left. Uh, and I want to enjoy my football. Is in the only way I enjoy the football is prepare yourself well to to try to to do the best tournaments possible. Uh, I was not really thinking about to come back or not to the national team. I never closed the door anyway. But the only way I could put me there is is doing well in in my club. So. I cannot just look at the national team. I have to look at my, my, what I can do for, for my club. And I think that will put me or give me the chance to, to be back in the national team. Of course, I will be so happy if, we, if we the opportunity come back because uh, I just only play two games for the national team. And, and, and you know, he's uh, uh, always excited to, to, to play for, for, for the national team. So, look. Is at the moment I, I I cannot control that decision. Uh, I only can control what I what I can do uh, during the week and, and and try to to play my best through on the weekend. And, and I know if you, if I do that, uh, I have more chance to to come back. Mate, you're definitely doing your bit, and um, to us on the sideline who are watching you play, you're doing our bit in trying to uh, to make sure you're in that squad. Uh, has Arnie been in touch with you? You know, I guess since since your since your debut for the Socceroos, in the, and in the last couple of months in particular with your form. Who? Who? Sorry, uh, Arnie. No, 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 no. I didn't. I didn't speak with him. I just uh, the last time I uh, met him was. Uh, uh, when so when Socceroos play here and they give me the cup uh, half time, so uh, I had the opportunity to 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 say hello to him, but, but no more than that. Well, we'll find out later on this week, Bruno, whether you are uh, on the plane to Qatar. So we'll know one way or the other. Uh, back to Melbourne victory, uh, the big blue win at the weekend over Sydney FC. It certainly didn't please Broski, but. Uh, it, it was just, in many ways a sort of a strange sort of a game. You were outshot, outpossessed, outpassed. You conceded eleven corners, and yet you still won pretty comfortably. Is this in part the way that you've been set up this season to be harder to break down? Yeah, I think last season was that was the biggest problem for us. Uh, but the moment we feel comfortable uh, and and we try to to defend well. Uh, Run for for each other. Uh, if you see our block is is very compact, uh, 
uh, everyone defends, but when we when we have the chance to attack, we 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 break quick, and then we have uh, very good players in front. They 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 can break the lines, and then and, and and you know we we try to support each other, and I think uh, was was a great performance for us. Um, we didn't they we didn't concede the goal, and and, and that's so important to 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 keep the clean sheet. Uh, but I think we have a, a lot of things to to keep improving. The, so I think that's the good part for us to 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 get that excited because you know when the when when you see at the moment uh, or you think like the team is not in his best best yet and you keep winning, that's that's great. So I think we have to keep improving and 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 and, and try to 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 win games, of course. I think a big difference as well has been from from last season has um, you know been the amount of service that you're getting and the quality ball that you're getting. So how how important has the arrival of someone like Zinedine Mushash and the form of Daniel Azani been uh, in getting that service that you need? Yeah, of course. Uh, I remember if, uh, you give the same service for Bobo before, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's important for for. For a number nine to to have uh, good players around you, and and try to 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 delivery and 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 and, and put you in, in situation that you you can score goals and and like I said before, uh, you have great players. Uh, uh, I have great players around me: Sinedine, uh, uh, Nish, uh, Daniel Arsani. Ben Falami, so whatever who come in, it's their inform and, and 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 it's great because you can see the the other team have to take care about a lot of players, not just one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is make the difference. I, I can find more space uh, a little bit easier, uh, and that gives me the chance to to score more goals, of course. Now this weekend, Bruno, of course, you've got another big engagement. It's uh, the Melbourne Derby. Uh, is this game still a bit extra special for you because of your city affiliations? And is there still some bad blood there on on your part? Uh, it's special. It's a derby mm. for me. It's special. Every single derby is special. Uh, uh, I'm not thinking about if I play in City before or now I'm in Victory or I'm here now. I'm enjoying to play, and then it's a great game coming up, and, and you know. You want to play with uh, a lot of fans, and and and, and this is the, the game that you want to be there. Uh, you wait, you wait all year for for this kind of game. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't have nothing in my mind like, uh, oh, I played there before. or no, I just, I just want to win because it's a derby. I try to uh, win the three points and keep going. You know, we we are close to 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 be on top on the table, and and, and we want to be there. Uh, and it's uh, the only the only way that we we can do that is is winning games. And this one is is special for us. It's special for our fans, for our club. So I hope like we can we can see a a, a big crowd and and play uh, you know a real real derby. You know, just on derbies, Broski. Obviously, your Uruguayan heritage. You grew mm-hmm. up, I think, a national fan. Is that That's right? right? Yes, yes. Bruno, yes. who was who was your team in Uruguay growing up? Yeah, national. national. Oh. It's only one team in Uruguay. So, so no <laughs> wonder he wanted you in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made two of you. Well, Go on, was, I mean, speaking of national, you've uh, we've yeah. seen you get messages from uh, 
from your good friend Luis Suarez. Uh, I'm sure if you make the plane to Qatar and, and play for the Socceroos, will he send you another video? Yeah. No, maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I, I saw I saw I saw also Luis come back for for the national team uh, in the last uh, qualifying game. So he he was you know the last couple of games. Yes, uh, didn't bring him, but he was back. He scored goal. He forced to be back in the national team. He's still he's still alive. He's still performing. He's still scoring goals, and you know why not? So you have to look this as well, you know. And this is what I try to do. Uh, I can do as well. I can keep scoring goal and and try to to performance every every game. You know, doesn't matter what they say if he. I'm 36 or 35 or 37. For me, it's just a number. And and because also scoring goals are numbers as well. So uh, I'm just trying to do my best at the club. And and, and, and for sure, he, if, if I make it, he will be happy. Just finally, uh, Bruno, you, you did mention your age there. We weren't going to bring it up, of course. But uh, at 36, how many more seasons do you think you, you've got in you and... Is the burning ambition at club level, we've talked about your international ambitions, but at club level is your burning ambition to win a championship in Australia? Because you've not done that yet. You won the cup with City, but you've not won a championship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's the one for me. Uh, and this is one of uh, the other reasons I prepared myself uh, in the preseason. And, and, and like I, I say, I, I cannot uh, stop my career without winning one I like and you know, and I think uh, we we this year we have the chance. Uh, I can see this is my in my teammates and the, the the ambition of the that the club have to to be back on to be in the top, uh, and I'm ready for that. So I hope this this year is yeah uh, I can I can win my first uh, I like of course. Well, Bruno, it would be a, a fitting finale. You are one of the A-League greats of that, there is no doubt. Uh, we love watching you play, hopefully for a few more years yet. And uh, we wish you all the very best, both with victory and in your attempts to get on that plane in a couple of weeks' time. We'll find out <laughs> later this week. Thanks for talking to us, Bruno. Thanks, Bruno. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate the, the words that you that you say. And, and we keep pushing. You know, we have to... This is football and uh, you have to show and improve every weekend. Uh, Alex knows well this, you know, and and, and that's what we, what we try to do, uh, especially this weekend. This, uh, I, must see, I must see it coming up. Great stuff. Good luck at the weekend. Thanks, Bruno. Thank, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. That is Melbourne Victory's Bruno Fornaroli with us. Thanks to Paramount Plus, the A-League where stars are made every round, every game, live only on Paramount Plus. Yes, our Premier League update with Spencer Pryor. Thanks to Schnitz. Got that winning taste right now. Schnitz, handcrafted schnitzels, made fresh, made just for you. How are you, Treacle? How are you, Spencer? Um, hello, Brusky, and hello, Simon. I'm very good, thank you. Good to have you back on the show. Final time of the year. Thanks for all your work in 2023. Let's kick off with uh, the big game that was on Sunday in England. At Liverpool nil, Manchester United nil. Eric Ten Hag going to be renamed Eric Ten Bosses. Uh, he really did park the bus, didn't he? he? Did. 
<laughs> why but not? it got the point. Hey, why not? Do you know what? Right. So it's um, it, it could just be a point that's given them a little bit of um, an, emph- uh, an, an impetus to maybe kick on. And and there's, it, it, I, I think the pressure was always going to be on, and people were talking. You know, I think before the game that if you'd spoke to Man United supporters, they'd have probably. It, you know, you're talking to them and they're going, oh, you know, as long as we don't get smashed like four mm. or five nil, we'll take a one or two nil. So Should that know, be the way really... they're thinking though, Spen, as a, as a club of but that, that is, size? It is. is, but it is, Simon. That's the thing, right? Reality. That's where they're at. Mm, that's, yeah. the, that's the reality and the gap between the two sides at the moment. And, and to be fair, like, it, it's, been not, it's been the other way round before. Like, it's been the other way True. round where... You know, back in the nineties, like late nineties, and Liverpool were probably thinking exactly the same. You know, don't, don't you know, as long as we don't get smashed. The difference is, they, they, that man, you still managed to smash them, and the emphasis was on Liverpool to go and and try and break it down, and it does become challenging. So, I, yeah, look, what what was he supposed to do? Go and play free, open football, and and play the way that Liverpool wanted them to play, and leave all the space in behind for for Salah and, and their quick players up top. It's it, it, There's more than one way to play, and, and it was like the pressure was on Liverpool. The emphasis was on them to go and break it down, and they didn't. So, um, yeah, it was it was a different way to see Man United setting up, but point to point, I suppose. Yep, fair uh, point. I didn't mind the, uh, the back and forth with Virgil van Dijk as well. So his comments saying that only one side was trying to win, and then Roy Keane obviously... <laughs> Took the bait and he went, how many championships in the last 35 years have he had? <laughs> well, to be fair, he has got a point. He, and he you does. know what? He has got a point, but it wasn't, you know, and, and the emphasis was on them to go. And, and he, I, I can't say that he was being really disrespectful to Man United. It was, it was a fair comment, I reckon, to say, like, and one team was only really going out to win the game, but ultimately... Yeah, I, both I, got I, a point, exactly. I, I kind of agree with both of them, actually, but that's me sitting on the fence, not really supporting <laughs> either team, to be fair. Splinters prior. <laughs> Mate, Arsenal 100%. capitalised and uh, and took themselves back to the top of the table. Uh, two goals to Jesus and Havertz were enough to see off Brighton. Uh, in a game, yeah, they had a, a lot of good chances in that first half. And, and the Gunners, looking at that top you know, couple clubs, uh, seem to be the only club who've really avoided an injury crisis. They they have and um, it's just managing all their players. They've they've you know Oligard was out for a, a, quite a few games and you know I don't know whether that was a concussion thing that he he had that they were talking about that you know that, that maybe a three or four games that he missed he comes back fresh. Jesus missed a bunch of games at the start of the season, so they they have had their injuries but they haven't had them all together at the same time, which is giving them that chance to keep the results going, freshen the players up when they need to. Yeah, they looked they looked sensational at the weekend and, and Brighton Brighton are a tough team. Um and and you know, it, it cost Arsenal the week before missed opportunities in it and it had that little feel about it that it might do it again. But they capitalised, took their chance, believe it or not, and it was a set piece where they scored the first and it sort of opened the game up a little bit for them. And, um, yeah, I I, I think if if they can keep everybody fit and on the park, 
Um, and that's not just the 11 players, that's the squad. If they can keep everybody on the park, I, I, I think they might go one step further this year. Oh, big call. <laughs> it's not even January yet. Um, now, Spenner, City. Let's talk about my beloved City. What on earth yep. is going on? This is becoming a habit, isn't it? Establishing a lead, looking comfortable, and then letting points slip late on. Is it a lack of concentration? Is it something deeper than that? Is it the injuries? What's the, what's the issue here? Oh, I, I still, you know, we've spoke about it before, Simon. I still think there's a lack of focus on being prepared to do some ugly stuff and keep clean sheets. And they haven't, they just haven't kept clean sheets. So, you know, even even when that, they, they were they were cruising, cruising at two 0 and you just want your defenders to think about defending. And I think I think the, the goal where I think the goal where Diaz gets done, I, I, I'm not sure if he's the same player that he was two, three years ago. He's had a bit and of a dip, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he got he got done for pace more than anything, and the game's getting faster and faster. And look, he's been an incredible player for Man City, and he and, and he still is. But when you're coming up against speed, uh, it, it it I just want to see him keep a clean sheet occasionally, and I I still think that that's one thing that's missing from them from where they were. But who I mean, look, like we said, you, you just said it. We're not we're, we're we're not even at the halfway stage and yet we're getting into the point of the season where Man City do really kick on. Uh, I'm just not sure how much impact this club world championship is going to have, but you know, Kevin De Bruyne is coming back, which is great. So it's good to see him getting some game time, hopefully while they're over in this club world championship, get him back on the park. He, We have missed him. Like He's been a big player to, to have out. Uh, and yeah, I think I think injuries have had a big play on it, but I also think that they've got more than enough players to go out and, and kill teams off when they get two nil up, kill them off. Who was the fastest player that went past you, Spanner? Um, Thierry Henry. Well, he was pretty rapid, to be fair, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Thierry Henry. Was it, was, it, was it like a Ferrari going past uh, a Volkswagen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was rapid. He was so quick. Brilliant. Um, elsewhere, Spurs win again, 2-0 against Forest. Villa continue to win. Bit of a wild game yeah. against uh, Brentford. Uh, those scary scenes in Bournemouth. We could talk about a, a whole lot of uh, things, including mm. the Champions League round of 16 draw. Copenhagen against Man City. Porto against uh, Arsenal, but unfortunately, Spanner, time has beaten us. Uh, so we will say adieu. Merry Christmas. Thanks for all your hard work, and uh, we'll see you again in the new year. And to you, boys. Happy Christmas. Merry and Christmas. Have a mate. wonderful 2024. Absolutely. That's uh, Spencer Pryor, our Premier League update. Thanks to Schnitz, home of fresh, golden, handcrafted schnitzels. This weekend, Friday, it's Palace against Brighton. Oh, that's a tasty one. They don't like each other. Saturday, Villa against Sheffield United. Uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, West Ham, Man United, Spurs against Everton and Liverpool, Arsenal. And then on Christmas morning, our time, it's Wolves against Chelsea. That's at midnight. All those games available across the SEN network via the SEN app.
Yes, the last time we're going to hear that track this year as we talk the women's game with Alicia Carnavas. Evening, Alicia, how are you? Oh, I'm good, team. How are you? We're very good. Christmas. I feel like we can say it now. Yes, right? we can. Yeah. We can. Um, let's uh, talk about the Matildas. Uh, they remain the hottest ticket in town. 25,000 tickets sold already for that Olympic qualifier against Uzbekistan in February. Uh, is Docklands in Melbourne the right venue for you, given that there's going to be a pink concert there, I'm told, just a few days beforehand? I'm sure you'll be there, Alicia. Look, I can't say I'll be at the concert. Admittedly, <laughs> I won't be at Pink. But um, is it is it the right choice of venue? It's it's the great debate, isn't it, and the battle that we seem to have. I actually quite like Docklands as a stadium. I think Marvel's a, a good stadium. Not not square or rectangular, but it's a good stadium. It holds a decent amount of people. Um, would I lean towards, as I mentioned before, Suncorp Stadium, to a bit more fit for purpose if they're looking for that 50,000 plus? Absolutely. But again, problems with field conditions up here as well mm. so it's a tricky one if we're looking at east coast which is obviously what they're looking for um i think of all the choices amy amy park's a little bit too small i think at the moment for the matildas if they're selling out twenty-five thousand tickets in four hours or something yes. crazy um amy park's too small i think it had to be marvel if not suncorp stadium now i know you love suncorp alicia <laughs> we all love suncorp when it's full but whilst we yes. celebrate the Matildas and we pay homage and we dip our lids to Suncorp Stadium, in your lovely home state, Brisbane Raw played mm. a, a draw against the Wanderers at Perry Park at the weekend. Uh, a Perry Park that's got a broken disabled access ramp and a main stand that was intended to be renovated 50 years ago. Uh, yep. What's it going to take for the government up there to actually chuck some money in the direction of football? Or is it a forlorn home? Hope. First of all, it scares me that the 70s were 50 years ago. That's alarming. That's, that's, that's really true. stepping it back. <laughs> but, um, look, I've, I'm a big advocate for Perry Park, having the renovation that it needs, having, I guess, the investment in it. I think it's got the potential to be one of the great pitches um, for football in the country if they can they can achieve what we all hope to achieve. Ten to 15,000 seater stadium would be fantastic, Perry Park. Uh, three to five minutes from the CBD of Brisbane and really, really easy to get to public transport-wise. I'm not surprised that those stands and those ramps are the way they are. I don't think they were touched even when I was training there and Andy Harper was taking the strikers out for a run, <laughs> so that's been a while. Um, so, look, it, it needs investment. It needs a revamp and football in Queensland needs Perry Park. Here, here. And looking forward to the Olympics, uh, both Sweden and Great Britain have missed out on qualification and um, and the Matildas went so close uh, in Tokyo. Does that open the door then to a genuine prospect of a medal this time around? Look, even before Great Britain was sort of ruled out of, of the Olympics, as soon as Sweden were out, I thought this really opened the door for the Matildas uh, to come through and and be a medal chance. And I think this generation, that's what they're looking for, right? They've been so successful uh, for years and years and years. The semi-final of a World Cup was sensational. And I think the icing on the cake for this team, for this squad, um, pre-retirees, would be to get that long-awaited and, and I guess, needed for them Olympic medal. So I think Sweden, Great Britain being gone, the Matildas won't get a better opportunity to get their hands in a medal. And, and fingers crossed they do. Okay, let's uh, turn our attention to uh, some of the games in the A-League women's competition. Perth Glory remained top ahead of Melbourne City on goal difference. 
after eight mm-hmm. rounds, but uh, neither team was able to win at the weekend. And uh, were Glory a bit fortunate uh, to get a point in their uh, goalless draw with Sydney? Yeah, look, I think they definitely were. They were without Stale, who's a big, a big, uh, I guess, linchpin for them in the strike force. But it was a pretty lacklustre match. Having said that, Sydney, who've been struggling to find a little bit of momentum, should be happy on the road with the point. I think Ante will be pretty happy with that result for them, <clears throat> considering how well Perth have been playing as well. So for Sydney, I think it's a good result. For Perth, I think at home at Macedonia, I think they'll be a bit disappointed. And City couldn't take advantage of that, um, getting a point themselves. Uh, only two shots on target for them and, and a late equaliser, which was an absolute beauty from Rebecca Stott, uh, getting a mm. point for them against the Mariners. Yeah, and I think City, again, they struck form very, very, very very early in the competition. They definitely are without Holly McNamara, but they bounced back pretty well. Um, Rebecca starts finish, sensational. Full full credit to her for that, but definitely a team. I think they've just come off the boil just a fraction, and I think they'll be looking to bounce back in the coming weeks just to get that momentum back fraction. And uh, other great news for Adelaide United, Emily Condon making her comeback from injury, and... Uh, she had an afternoon to remember, and so did the Lady Reds. Yeah, and look, the uh, I guess the Lady Reds, what was it, 4-2. Some people say there were some goalkeeper errors that helped them on the way, but a win's a win as far as I'm concerned, and a great result for them against Wellington. I think Wellington, for me, have been one of those teams that have performed really well uh, since the A-League started. So for the Lady Reds to get the result against Wellington, very happy for them, and it gives them a little bit of confidence as well for, for their next couple of matches. And Melbourne victory after a slow start for them and now six unbeaten uh, after seeing off Canberra United 2-0 and with Emily Gilnick back uh, soon from injury, a, a victory about to mount a charge? I think they are six six on the run. I think at the moment that's where they're at and if I know Jeff Hopkins as I do, he will be loving this, this little bit of momentum that they've got. When you listen to the team and how they're talking as well with interviews and and whatnot around the Tramps. They are very confident. They're feeling good. And I think that's a really good sign for Melbourne victory. They're getting that momentum that they crave. And um, Jeff Hopkins should be happy with with where he's at at the moment. And they've got the experience, haven't they, of reaching grand finals. They do it so regularly, particularly uh, with Jeff Hopkins in charge. Uh, The other game, Alicia saw the Newcastle Jets finally break their number two sports ground hoodoo. They beat Western United 4-2. Uh, and a goal and an assist for Emily Van Egmond. She's off again. And how many spells is that with the Jets? Is that five now, I think? I was going to say, it's got to be at least four or five. Yeah. I love that she comes home, though. I still really mm. have a lot of respect for the fact that she comes yeah. home. You see so many of the players sort of floating around different clubs. I just love that she goes back to Newcastle. I think that's really cool. Um, it's a really great nod to her hometown, and it's a boost for them every time she's back. So, Loved having her in the league, and hopefully we see her back again soon. But um, it's, I think she had a really good spell for the Jets. Just stopping by to say hi. Uh, <laughs> finally to the FA Women's Super League. Uh, Sam Kerr on target again for Chelsea uh, as they beat Bristol City 3-0. And that's a uh, couple with, I guess you could call it a bit of a surprise North London derby defeat for Arsenal, who were really wasteful with their opportunities uh, means that Chelsea are now three points clear at the top and Manchester City are uh, their nearest chasers. Yeah, quietly I'm gunning for City and Arsenal so just to give them a little bit of a shake <laughs> at the top. I'm like, you know what? Chelsea have done so well, like credit to them, but 
can we disrupt the Emma Hayes party? Like, I just love her as a coach. But you know what? Wouldn't mind if they got a bit of a, a rattle at the top. If they're three points clear, it's not out of reach. But if City can give them a bit of a run for their money this season, I think it'd be great to see and great for the league, of course. And just finally, Alicia, uh, Sam's got a big game on Thursday. The UEFA Women's Champions League. Uh, Chelsea away to Hucken after a goalless draw between the two in London last week. And Chelsea need to win that uh, if they're going to top the group. Yeah, they definitely do. And I think something we didn't talk about last week, Hucken have Ivy Lewick playing for them, um, another yep. Matilda. So, of course, for, for Hucken, it was a really great result on the road um, against Chelsea. And they're very respectful of their opponents and, and very aware of the presence of Chelsea, not only in the WSL, but in the Champions League as well. So they were super happy with that result. Of course, Chelsea have to win, um, but they're on the road. So who knows? There could be a bit of an upset on the cards, but you never know. We'll see what the clash of the the Matildas brings us. Alicia, it's been uh, a joy having you on the show for the last 12 months and we will uh, touch base with you again in 2024. Uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and your family. Thanks, Alicia. Cheers, guys. Same to you. Enjoy the break. That is Alicia Carnavas with the women's game. We're off to another break. We've got uh, some more Asian Cup previews coming your way on the other side of it. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, we round out the show as usual with Football Asia and Paul Williams from the Asian Game Podcast. Evening, Paolo. Simon, Alex, how are you guys? Very good. good uh, so the big news in, in Asia is that uh, Kevin Muscat has left Yokohama F. Marinos and become the new coach of Shanghai Port in China. Was that a bit of a surprise move for you? Uh, it was because he'd been linked to so many jobs in Europe over the last month or two that I think the expectation was that once he announced or once it was announced that he was leaving Yokohama that he would go to Europe and, and pick up a job somewhere in the UK or, or on the continent as well. But um, it's it's China that he's going to instead. And I can, I can understand the bemusement and the reaction to it because on the face of it, it does seem like a, a backwards move. I mean, China is... Far from where it was five or ten years ago, the league is nowhere in comparison to to the J League. To to leave the J League to go to China um, does seem like a, a backward step. But I think all things considered, it felt like the right time for him to leave Yokohama after two and a half seasons. And then the question is, what next? And if he couldn't get a job in in Europe, then I guess looking elsewhere in in Asia was was going to be the next best option for him. And despite everything that's that's gone on in in Chinese football. Shanghai Port are, are still a big club within the country. They've still got a bit of a, a legacy hangover from their glory years of, you know, Oscar, Hulk and, and co. So, and, and given everything in China, they are one of the stable clubs as well. So he walked into a pretty stable environment, the defending champions who are going to be in the Champions League. So if he couldn't get the opportunity in Europe, which it appears that he doesn't, then it's probably not a bad option for him. And I'll be fascinated to see how he goes because China is a very different beast to Japan, so it'll be fascinating to see how he gets on. And the uh, FIFA Club World Cup is underway in Saudi Arabia. One of the Asian representatives, Aliti, had uh, are already out, losing 3-1 to Egypt's Al-Akhli. And the other, Urawa Red Diamonds, faced Manchester City tonight. Uh, are they any chance? No chance. Any chance. To to quote their uh, their striker Brian Linson, nothing is impossible. Um, that's been the line from Urawa for the last couple of days. Effectively, why not? 
the the whole you know if it if it bleeds we can kill it kind of thing so they know it will be tough they know that they are the the rank underdogs against man city but in in a one-off game you know anything is possible if you get a a lucky penalty or a little bit of luck go your way then then why not but they're going to be up against it i think everyone knows that you know um you know pound for pound man city are a, a far stronger football team so um i'd be staggered if arawa were to somehow get through but you know going into the game they're they're not afraid they're going in eyes wide open saying you know why not why can't we pull off an upset but i think it'll be a surprise and just quickly on Eddie had it was it was pretty disappointing uh, result for them. I think much more externally, much more was expected from them. I think internally within Saudi Arabia, given their form this season, um, they're so far off the pace domestically. They sacked their coach a month ago. Um, I think something like this was was feared that it was going to happen. Um, Marcelo Gallardo has only had about a month in, in charge and you can start to see a little bit of his imprint on the team, but he just hasn't had long enough to, uh, to work with the team. Perhaps if Benzema's penalty goes in at half time, just before half time, and it's one-one. Then things could have been different, but I think that's just the form that Eddie had are in at the moment. So, um, unfortunately for the uh, the home side, there was uh, no fairy tale. I'll tell you what, the way City are defending at the moment, Uruguay might be a chance. Um, speaking of the World Cup, the Club World Cup, that is, uh, it's about to expand, of course, as per the big announcement during the week. Thirty-two teams featuring four from the Asian Confederation. Uh, does that help revitalise the Asian Champions League a bit? I mean, we know that the Europeans don't like it, but um, I reckon this is not a bad uh, development for football in our neck of the woods. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I don't know if I'm in the minority or the majority. I don't know, but I'm I'm a fan of this new format. I think it's going to be bigger than what people realise it's it's going to be. And what I think it's going to do is it's going to revitalise and revolutionise club football, not just in here. It's going to do it across the world, pretty much everywhere outside of of Europe. And I think if we're completely honest, I think the game needs it around the world. Um, You know, if the purse is as big as being reported, some suggest it's going to be upwards of 50 million euros just for for qualifying. That's 80 million Australian just to to make it. That's a game changer, isn't it? That's a total game changer. That's staggering money for any club, even European clubs. That's a staggering amount of money. I think it's a hundred million euro that's been reported if you uh, if you win the competition. So you know, for clubs in Asia, even you know clubs in Saudi Arabia, but particularly clubs even here in Australia on this side of the continent, that's it's life changing kinds of money. And we know that the prize money for the Champions League is increasing to to twelve million for the winners. But given that comes with you know Club World Cup qualification. Um, 12 million US, that is, um, it effectively makes that prize pull about 65 to $70 million. So that's an enormous carrot to dangle in front of teams um, now in, in the Champions League. There's, there still needs to be better redistribution of um, prize money down the chain as well. But um, as a starting point, I think it's going to do a lot for, for club football all around the world. Absolutely. And last week we uh, previewed the final group games in the Champions League and the AFC Cup. And unfortunately, uh, Melbourne City didn't go through, although the Mariners and the Bulls did in the AFC Cup. Does uh, does that damage our coefficient for the top competition? It, it it does and it doesn't. I mean, they'll be ruining that um, that set piece for a long while, Melbourne City. They just had to hold on. Um, for 30 more seconds and they would have been through. Um, I was looking at the the club rankings the other day. We're neck and neck with Malaysia at the moment for, for fifth and sixth. They're just ahead of us at the moment. Perhaps if, you know, the Mariners or MacArthur go on to to do well in the AFC Cup, it'll edge us back ahead. But 
fifth and sixth, you earn the same slot allocation. So it doesn't make too much difference with your fifth or sixth. But getting the extra points had City gone through um, would have been good further down the line as well for, for coefficient points. We're about 18 points behind Thailand now as well. So we've got a lot of ground to make up. So any points that we can earn along the way are going to be valuable um, in the grand scheme of things. So City missing out does hurt us a little bit in, in that regard. Um, it was pretty disappointing. They did pretty much everything they needed to do. As I said, they had 30 seconds to hold on, defend one corner, and they're, they're pretty much through, um, and they couldn't get the job done. And two years now in a row, I mean, they're a little, a little bit unlucky in the fact that they've only lost one game in, in 12 and haven't made it through either way. But um, two pretty soft groups and haven't been able to get out is, is pretty disappointing for Melbourne City. Uh, topping the group in the AFC Cup, Hans MacArthur, a zonal semi against Sabah of uh, Malaysia, while the Mariners are going to entertain Phnom Penh Crown, both Australian clubs at home, and it's uh, a one-off game. Uh, what can you tell us briefly, of course, about uh, their opposition? I mean, we've seen it already this this campaign. You know, MacArthur went to, to Cambodia and, and lost to Phnom Penh. So um, at home, you'd expect the, the two Australian teams to be to be too strong. Um, you know, Sabah did did well in in their other group as well, um, finishing top of that group. But yeah, one-off games at home, you'd expect the Australian teams to be too strong. That gets them through to the um, the zonal final, where one of them will obviously make it through. And then you look, you know, beyond that at the teams that are going to be in the interzone section. It's Odisha from India, Abdish Atta from Kyrgyzstan, and and Taichung from from Taiwan. There's absolutely nothing to fear for any of the Australian sides if they get. Well, one of them hopefully will get through um, the ASEAN zone section. They should be then looking to at least make the the final, um, which I think unfortunately this year is going to be hosted in the West as a, a one-off game because it was in the East last year. Um, so we won't get to host it, but they should be at least then aiming to get through to the final and, and hopefully lift the trophy. Yep. Uh, if the Aussie clubs go through, and this is, if my maths is correct, they're going to the zonal final, then it's the interzone semi-final, then the interzone playoff final, and then the final. Jeez, it's not easy to work out all this. Uh, let's talk a bit of domestic football before we close, Paolo. Uh, to Saudi Arabia, Al-Halal have built up a 10-point lead at the top over Al Nasser, uh, who do have a game in hand. But uh, the future of a one Steven Gerrard as coach of Al-Etifak is in doubt. A run of only one win in 11 matches. And next up, he's got Al Nasser and Cristiano Ronaldo to contend with. Who are in a ridiculous vein of form themselves. So you can't see Etifak getting... Something from that game, they're going to to need to. I mean, they started pretty well under Gerard, but they've fallen in a heap since then. And he made some some pretty strong comments um, this week um, that the club uh, needs to invest and invest heavily um, in the the January transfer window. Um, they they did that in the off season, so I guess he wants them to to go back to the well again. And basically said that the club needs to back him because they need a lot of investment in a lot of areas. Um, if they're going to uh, to climb back up the table, they've been linked with a move for um, for Bobby Firmino from Alakli, who looks like he's going to go out on loan um, in the uh, the January window because he's out of favour at at Alakli. So perhaps he might link up with uh, with another Liverpool legend. But there is certainly pressure starting to mount on uh, on Steven Gerrard because uh, it's a big money signing. I think they expected uh, a lot more for him from him at uh, at this point of the season. Uh, one more, Paolo, before we let you go. A uh, little bit of history in Iran, I'm told, this evening. 3,000 female fans are going to be allowed into the Azadi Stadium for the big clash between Persepolis and Esteglal. That's uh, a first. Is that a sign of, of things to come or, or maybe the Iranian authorities bowing to the pressure internally? 
Hopefully. Um, I, I think that game was actually last week, in fact. Oh, that, was it? That game was I thought played. it was tonight. Sorry. It was. Yeah, and I think there was there was that that game was a finished in a one all draw I think between Persepolis and, and Esteglal I think uh, last minute equaliser for Esteglal I think it might have been there was certainly a last minute equaliser so um, yeah massive massive crowd again and yeah and and three thousand female fans were were inside which is which is great to see you'd, you'd love to see more of it but at least it's it's something and it's the beginning and hopefully. We've seen it before in Iran where they let a limited number of female fans in, then they go a couple of steps back and then they ban them again. They just need to continue to go down this path. Um, I know, you know, um, Johnny Infantino has been pl- applying a little bit of pressure himself from FIFA to uh, to get um, that ban overturned. So hopefully it's the start of something positive in Iran and we can see uh, more female fans in the stands. It's long, long, long overdue. Absolutely. Here, here. Uh, Paolo, as ever, Thanks so much for tonight and for all your hard work in 2023. It's our final show of the year. So uh, Merry, Christmas Merry Christmas and a Happy mate. New Year to you. And to you guys, look forward to chatting next year. Well, that's it for another show and for the global game for this year. Thank you so much for listening to myself, Broski and Alex Molchanoff. Great to be alongside you guys again in the studio. We are back on January the 9th in 2024, a couple of weeks break. I'm off to Qatar to cover the Asian Cup for Paramount Plus and Network 10. So Daniel Garb and Scott McDonald will be in the chair on January the 9th. I think Broski's got a couple of weeks on holiday. Uh, We'll close by wishing you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And once again, thanks for listening. We start our Group C preview with a look at the United Arab Emirates. For a country with huge influence on global sport think Sheikh Mansour's ownership of Manchester City, the annual Formula One race and Sheikh Maktoum's Godolphin horse racing stable, the United Arab Emirates' lack of success in their favourite pastime, football, is pretty hard to fathom. Al-Abiyad, the White, have competed at 10 Asian Cups, but since reaching the final in 1996, it's been a tale of disappointment, with their best showing a semi-final four years ago on home soil, when after defeating Australia in the quarters, they capitulated against eventual winners Qatar. Many of their golden generation have moved on, Ismail Matar, Ahmed Khalil and the twinkle-toed Omar Abdulrahman, still just 32, who last featured in the Asian playoff against Australia in 2022, have all gone. Abdulrahman has played a grand total of two minutes this season for his club side Al Wassel. 33-year-old striker Ali Mabkut, who won the golden boot in 2015, is still there, but new coach Paolo Bento has been given the brief to regenerate the team, still being weaned off that golden generation. Bento, a former Portuguese international, took South Korea to the round of 16 at last year's World Cup for the first time in 12 years, but left the position shortly after. He took over the Emirates job in July after Rodolfo Aroa Bereno was fired on the back of a difficult Golf Cup in January, in which the UAE took just one point from three games. Bento has adopted a 4-2-3-1 shape, which relies on an experienced spine. Goalkeeper Khalid Issa is still the undisputed number one, while Khalifa Alhamadi is the defensive linchpin in a team that's conceded just twice in its last seven games. In midfield, his Al Jazeera teammate Abdullah Ramadan is the fulcrum, while Mabkouk can still be relied upon to score a goal, which he did late on against Bahrain in the UAE's most recent World Cup qualifier, despite surprisingly being left out of the starting side. As with many national teams, UAE have a smattering of naturalised players, including sorry, 
including Caio Carnedo, born in Brazil, but who has resided in the Emirates for nearly a decade, and Fabio Lima, who scored over 150 goals in a 10-year career with Al Wassel. The Emirates remain a work in progress, but they should be good enough to get through the group involving Iran, Palestine and Hong Kong, with the two group heavyweights not clashing until the final match day in the section. The Islamic Republic of Iran. Team Meli were the continent's first true giants, establishing a stranglehold on the Asian Cup's early iterations, winning three straight tournaments in 1968, 1972 and 1976, along with an Asian Games gold medal and qualification for their first World Cup in 1978. Three semi-final appearances are as close as they've been to winning the tournament since. Recently, the national team have had to battle just as hard off the field as they have on it. Last year's World Cup coinciding with protests sparked by the death of Masa Amini, with many players, including captain Mehdi Taremi, refusing to sing the national anthem before their opening game against England and making public statements against the ruling Nizam. Remarkably, since that tournament, Team Melly have embarked on an 11-game unbeaten run, stretching back to March and encompassing wins over Uzbekistan, Afghanistan and Kyrgyzstan in the inaugural Central Asian Championships in June. Tremi was the top scorer in that tournament and continues as the fulcrum of native Iranian head coach Amir Golanai's attack. This is Golanai's second stint in charge of the national team after leading them to the 2007 Asian Cup quarterfinals, where they were eliminated by South Korea on penalties. Since his return to the job at the beginning of the year, he set the team up in a more attacking 4-4-1-1 formation. With Taremi, who's continued to play a pivotal role in FC Porto's run to the Champions League knockout stage, supporting Roma's Sada Azmun, while Feyenoord's Ali Reza Jahangbash and FC Rostov's Mohamed Mohebi provide ample service down the flanks. During that unbeaten 11-match run, Iran have outscored their opponents 33 goals to 7, and that good form carried into the start of World Cup qualifying where they breezed past Hong Kong 4-0 before claiming an important 2-2 away draw in Buyatkor against Uzbekistan. This is a group they'll be expected to top and given their recent run of form, they may feel this is their best chance to claim continental glory since their last triumph nearly half a century ago. Palestine are appearing in their third consecutive Asian Cup, although they are yet to win a match and have scored just once in their six group matches. The Lions of Caden have continuing problems in preparing for major tournaments because of the political situation in their homeland. They took their players to Jordan for a camp ahead of the World Cup qualifiers with Lebanon and Australia, in which they performed admirably, securing a point against the Cedars and only losing to a Harry Suttar goal in Kuwait. His squad is not without talent and is drawn from many different parts of the Palestinian diaspora as well as at home. Goalkeeper Rami Hamadi is considered one of the best in the region and he kept two clean sheets in the UAE four years ago before Palestine lost 3-0 to Australia. He's well protected by Mohamed Saleh and Michel Termanini with Chilean-born Camilo Saldana and captain Musab Al-Batat making up a defensive line which is the team's strong point. They've conceded just seven goals in their last six internationals. The problem for Palestine is at the other end. In that same seven-game sequence, they've scored just once, from Mahmoud Abuwada in a 2-1 loss to Oman. 
Much hope is invested in Ode Dabar, who is scoring regularly for Charleroi in Belgium. Although Atama Siem, who plays in Thailand, was the more impressive in the qualifier against the Socceroos. Daboub's selections are complicated by the ongoing conflict. He was unable to select players from Gaza for the World Cup qualifiers, and they have a difficult group to navigate with Iran and UAE, the favourites, to go through. But Hong Kong could at least provide them with an opportunity to secure their first ever win in the finals and potentially sneak through as the best third-place team. They will also certainly not lack for support in the stands. There are an estimated 100,000 Palestinians living in Qatar. The final team in Group C are Hong Kong, making their long-awaited return to the tournament for the first time since 1968, after hosting the inaugural tournament back in 1956, finishing in third place then behind Israel and South Korea. They're still yet to register a win in their three appearances at the tournament, getting one in Qatar would be seen as a monumental success. They qualified in second place from Group D of Asian Cup qualifying behind India after wins over Afghanistan and Cambodia in June last year. Quickly backing up to take part in the East Asian Cup where they were unable to muster a goal or a point against powerhouses Japan, South Korea and China. The Dragons are led by Norwegian manager Jorn Andersen, whose impressive 20-year playing career at Eintracht Frankfurt and Fortuna Dusseldorf, among others, scored him 27 national team caps before he moved into coaching. And in his first job after winning promotion at Mainz, Andersen became North Korea's first foreign manager in more than 20 years, leading them through qualification for the 2019 Asian Cup before departing the role on the eve of the tournament, leading Hong Kong successfully through qualifying for the first time ever. Like many teams at this tournament, Anderson has looked globally for players with connections to the nation. Nigerian-born Michael Udabulazor, who plays his football with Ingolstadt, Cameroonian-born Mahama Awal, and Brazilians Everton Camargo and Janinho have all debuted under Anderson in the past 12 months. Their most exciting prospect, though, is 21-year-old Kichi winger Chan Shinshi, who debuted back in 2019 at the age of just 16. Hong Kongers are hoping his first national team goal, which came in their win over Bhutan in the first round of World Cup qualifying, is a sign of things to come. Hong Kong's start to that World Cup qualification campaign has been mixed. They defeated Bhutan 4-2 over two legs before being defeated by Iran, who they'll face again here, and claiming a come-from-behind 2-2 draw against Turkmenistan at home, thanks to goals from Everton Camargo, winning his fourth cap, and experienced midfielder Wong Zai. We start our Group D Asian Cup preview with a look at Japan. The Samurai Blue come into this Asian Cup as one of the favourites to lift what would be a record fifth trophy. Four years ago, they were beaten finalists against Qatar, but since then they've reached the round of 16 at the World Cup and have put together an eight-game winning streak that includes victories over the likes of Germany and Turkey. In their two November World Cup qualifiers, they hit both Myanmar and Syria for five without reply. Coach Hajime Moriyasu has an enviable list of talent upon which to draw, some of whom are playing in the big leagues of Europe, such as Liverpool's Wataru Endo, Arsenal's Takehiro Tomiyasu, Takumi Minamino of Monaco, and Brighton's Kaoru Mitoma. Moriyasu wasn't too popular for his rather conservative style in the early days, but his team has been transformed into a ruthless attacking machine post-World Cup, and the group involving Vietnam, Iraq and Indonesia should present few problems. 
Moriasu, recently named AFC Coach of the Year, operates a 4-2-3-1 system, and his only real issue is fitting so many talented players into a starting 11, along with the goalkeeping role, which has alternated in recent times between two club teammates at Belgian outfit St. Troiden, 31-year-old Daniel Schmidt and Zion Suzuki, 10 years his junior. Further forward, the pace and trickery of Takuma Asano and Junior Ito will cause any Asian defence problems. And the problematic central striking berth seems to have been settled in favour of Feyenoord's Ayasi Ueda, who struggles to start for his club, but netted five times in the two World Cup qualifiers for his country. Dyson Maeda and Kyogo Furuhashi, the Celtic pair, may yet also come into the equation once they recover full fitness. Moriyasu says his aim post-World Cup was to have enough strength and depth to field two competitive first 11s. It seems he is well on the way to doing that, and the Japanese FA must be commended for sticking by their man, who's now coached more games with the national team than any other coach in their history. It will take a very good side to stop Japan, adding a fifth crown in Qatar. Two thousand and seven Asian Champions Iraq are the second side in Group D, participating in the tournament for the tenth time. The Lions of Mesopotamia have qualified for all bar one knockout stage in their history. Their first tournament coming all the way back in nineteen seventy-two, and they'll be expecting to progress from the group again here as reigning Golf Cup winners. A nation that have consistently punched above their weight. There's an argument that this team has more potential than their two thousand and seven forebears qualifying for this tournament with minimum fast behind fierce rivals Iran in Group B, managing a 2-1 win over them in Amman thanks to a 92nd minute winner from Ala Abbas back in 2019 before losing the return fixture two years later. Their coach, Spaniard Jesus Casas, was appointed in November 2022 ahead of the Arab Golf Cup after spending four years as an assistant to Luis Enrique in charge of La Roja and a brief spell under Javi Gracia at Watford. His 12 months in charge have been a whirlwind of success, claiming Iraq's first national team silverware since their Asian Cup triumph in January's Golf Cup as hosts, topping a group that included Saudi Arabia before defeating Qatar 2-1 in the semi-final and toppling Oman 3-2 in a dramatic final that went to extra time in front of ravenous home support. Casas favours attacking football, and despite favouring a 3-5-2 in their Golf Cup triumph, he started their recent World Cup qualifiers against Indonesia and Vietnam in a 4-2-3-1, which has allowed him to fit the nation's bright young talent, 19-year-old Ali Jassim, into the team alongside Golf Cup Golden Boot winner Ayman Hussein and crafty midfielder Ibrahim Bayesh. The heart of Kassas' midfield is Swedish-born Amir Al-Amari, who currently plays his football with Holmstad, while defenders Ali Adnan, once of Udinese and Atalanta, alongside Reben Sulaka, who has played the majority of his club career in Scandinavia, are well established as two of the Gulf's finest ever European exports. The Iraqis opened their campaign against Indonesia before facing group favourites Japan and then Vietnam, knowing that all six points from their first and third matches should see them safely through to the knockout stages, where there's a potential clash with South Korea and then potentially another quarter-final showdown with neighbours Iran.
Vietnam have improved markedly in recent years, largely down to the influence of their former coach, the Korean Park Hang So, whose six-year reign saw standards rise and the team win the AFF Championship for just the second time in their history. A campaign of huge investment in Vietnamese football reaped its reward under Park's guidance. The team also reaching the quarterfinals of the Asian Cup four years ago and then the final round of Asian qualifying for the 2022 World Cup, although they finished bottom of that group with just four points. Park's successor is the mercurial Philippe Troussier, the 68-year-old nicknamed the White Witch Doctor for his success in Africa with Burkina Faso. He is no stranger to the Asian Cup, having won it as a coach of Japan in 2000, whom he also led to the FIFA Confederations Cup final a year later. Troussier has had a mixed bag of results since taking over in July, an encouraging win over Syria, but a heavy defeat to South Korea, for example. Their second round of World Cup qualifying performances has mirrored those friendly results, a win over the Philippines coupled with a home defeat to Iraq. Having called up no fewer than 80 players since taking over, Troussier certainly cast his net wide as he seeks to implement a more possession-based style of football than under Park. His mainstays are goalkeeper Dang Van Lam, central defender Kei Nok Hai, defensive midfielder Nguyen Tuan An and striker Nguyen Tin Lin. But the stark difference between playing in Vietnam and overseas is epitomised by the experience of two of the national team's best products. Striker Nguyen Kong Phong has tried several times to break through overseas via stints with St Troiden, Incheon United, Mito Hollyhock and last season Yokohama FC in Japan. Each time, though, he struggled, contributing just 14 appearances combined and failing to trouble the score sheet. Similarly, one-time golden boy Nguyen Quang Hai, voted into the 2019 Asian Cup team of the tournament, spent two years attempting to make it at Po in the French second division. Alas, after 19 games and one goal, he is now back in Vietnam with Kong and Hanoi, where he started well, scoring twice in three matches. Paired in a group with Japan, Iraq and Indonesia means Vietnam will harbour hopes of finishing second and reaching the knockout phase. But the true test of their level will be in the opening game against the Samurai Blue at the Altamama Stadium on January the 14th. Finally in Group D, Indonesia's Team Garuda, who were Asia's first ever World Cup representatives back in 1938 as the Dutch East Indies. Losing 6-0 to Hungary in their only game, the nation's only World Cup appearance to date. They've had precious little success on the continental stage either, entering their fifth finals this time around at first since 2007. But hope abounds under South Korean manager Shin Tae-yong who takes a team based largely around the 2019 AFF Under-23 Championship winning squad to this tournament. Under Shin, Indonesian football has been reinvigorated. Despite losing the hosting rights to the FIFA Under-20 World Cup last year due to political reasons and subsequently their place at the tournament altogether, the momentum generated by their success at underage level has begun to bear fruit for the national team. Despite Shin's reshuffle, Indonesia finished bottom of their qualifying group, with just a single point from their eight games, meaning they had to qualify through AFC's new playoff rounds, where they thumped Chinese Taipei 5-1 over two legs before going on to upset Q8 2-1 in Q8 City and qualify behind Jordan in Group A, battering Nepal 7-0 along the way. 
In addition to the players brought through at youth level like strikers Dimas Trayad and Dendi Sulistwayan, as well as midfield rock Ricky Kumbaya, Shin and his coaching staff haven't been afraid to look abroad with Dutch-born Mark Klok and Spanish-born Jordi Amat, now the rocks upon which the defence relies. Above all, Indonesia have the potential to be spoilers in this tricky group, although the start to this round of World Cup qualifying hasn't quite matched the staggering upward trajectory of the past four years under Shin. Batted 5-1 by Iraq in their opening match before snatching a 1-1 draw from the Philippines thanks to a late equaliser from Sadil Ramdani. They face Iraq again here to open their campaign before the biggest test of all against Japan on match day three. Indonesia have faced the Socceroos on 17 occasions, winning just the once and upsets in 1982 World Cup qualifying in Jakarta. Their most recent encounter came in 2011 Asian Cup qualifying in Brisbane, where the Socceroos scraped a 1-0 win thanks to a goal from Mark Milligan.